The message you're about to hear has been made possible by the continued financial support of the friends and partners of Faith Hill. To find out more about how to become a partner, be sure to visit faithhill.tv. Well, why don't you hold your Bible, lift it up real high, and shout, this is my Bible. I believe what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter. A doer, not just a hearer. Today, I'll learn from God's Word, and my life will never be the same again. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So we've been talking about, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And this is a direct quotation from Proverbs chapter number 23, verse 7. It says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So we've been on this journey of uh, learning how our thought life uh, is vital. Uh, We've also learned that the battle of life is won or lost in the arena of your mind. Amen? The battle of life is won or lost in the arena of your mind. It doesn't matter how big of a battle it is. uh, It is fought and won or lost in the arena of your mind. So as we get into today's teaching, we're going to be talking about how you and I can manifest uh, the peace of God uh, in our lives through thinking the right way. You know, we're going to show you through Scripture that uh, peace is a byproduct Uh, of your thinking. But just a quick recap uh, from the last seven weeks. Uh, The first thing that I want to reiterate today is, number one, our diligence to maintain our thought life will determine, watch this now, the quality of our lives. So our diligence, uh, diligence talks about willingness and it also talks about uh, 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 being Uh, proactive to actually do something. So your diligence is going to be very important. Your diligence, your proactiveness, your willingness to maintain your thought life will determine directly uh, the quality of the life uh, that you live. And uh, for example, in the first service, I brought this up uh, as an example. The deterioration of relationships, if you will, uh, is is the quality of life, Uh, not in the positive, but in the negative. Uh, uh, you know, the deterioration of a marriage relationship, uh, the deterioration of a parent and child relationship, uh, the deterioration of an employer uh, and employee relationship all started uh, as a thought. Amen? I have an acronym that I call TISOR, and that's all the enemy has in his ammunition. Uh, T-I-S-O, thoughts, ideas, suggestions, and opinions. If you go back to the first time the enemy ever fought uh, against mankind in the book of Genesis, chapter number 3, he used uh, the, 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 these four things. He used thoughts, uh, ideas, uh, suggestions, and opinions. He went to Eve uh, and he said, did God say? And scripture actually tells us that uh, he possessed uh, the snake because it was the most subtle, sneaky animal in the garden. It's interesting that he didn't possess uh, an elephant, a big mammal, and just went and put his foot on Eve's snake and say, eat this foot and shove it down her throat. He didn't have authority to do that. Amen? 
So what he could do was to sneak in a thought, an idea, and a suggestion, and an opinion that is contrary to what God had said. So he said, did God say? And then she said, yeah, God said we should not touch uh, uh, this fruit. We should not eat it. We should not touch it. She added a little bit more, and he tripped her up. And ended up, she wound up eating the fruit, and uh, we know that she uh, sold uh, uh, their birthright, went and got uh, uh, Adam to eat the fruit uh, as well, and they sold uh, their authority over the earth. How did that all happen? It happened, it started as a thought. Similarly, in your life, there are different arenas uh, of, of battle people get to fight. You get to fight, uh, for example, in the battle of relationships, a husband and a wife in a marriage relationship, uh, when they come to see the pastor, they are ready to announce that we are done with each other. Meanwhile, I was there seven years ago. I was in the building, and there were many other witnesses that were there with us when they were looking at each other saying, I love you, I love you, I love you so much, I love you. And they told us right in front of everybody that they were going to do this thing till death do them apart. So what happened? How did we get here? It all started as a thought. You know what? I can do better than this. She ain't treat me right. Yeah, she ain't treat me. Who does she think? She can't even cook. I can find someone who can cook. Oh, yeah, you know what? Actually, the secretary looks nice. Oh, yeah, look. Hey, nice shoes. What happened? It started as a thought. And when the thought came, he entertained it. Well, let me tell you something else that's powerful. The lifespan of a thought is determined by the attention you give it. Attention is like petrol. Uh, 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 when you give a thought attention, you start m- uh, meditating on that thought. You start staying on that mountain. Oh, man, it starts getting real to you. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, she's the ugliest person in the entire world. Well, brother, you picked her. What were you thinking? What happened? That thought began to be magnified. And it led to problems. Amen? And so scripture instructs us to cast down thoughts that are contrary to God's word. Thoughts that seek to exalt themselves against the knowledge of Christ. We need to cast them down. Amen? Because life battles are won or lost in the arena of the mind. And if you can win it in your mind, you will win it in life. So the diligence to maintain your thought life will determine the quality of life uh, that you will live. Hallelujah. Number two, I want to reiterate, ignorance and victory are mutually exclusive. Yes, brother, ignorance over here. And yes, brother, victory over here. You can actually find some real people with these names if you look hard enough. <laughs> I'm telling you. This is Africa. TIA. So we got Brother Ignorance here and Brother Victory. And these two cats can never become roommates. What I mean by that is uh, uh, when you have ignorance, you will never experience victory in any area of your life that you are ignorant in. The Bible tells us in Hosea 4, uh, verse 6, God speaking. God admitted that his kids were perishing. His people 
God admitted that they were perishing, they were dying. And he says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Knowledge brings you from over here to over here. So these two guys are mutually exclusive. Amen? I said amen. Amen. It's just a a mathematic term uh, that I think is, is, is... uh, suits what exactly what I'm trying to talk about here. A lot of people think that ignorance and victory are non-mutual, uh, mutually exclusive. What that means is they, they think victory can overlap, you know, into uh, areas of ignorance. No, it doesn't work like that. And ignorance, uh, you can just stumble into some victory uh, by chance. It doesn't work like that. They don't overlap. They are mutually exclusive, just like light and darkness. Amen? Just like the curse uh, and, and the blessing. You know, if you're blessed, you are not cursed. You can't be both at the same time. So which one are you going to be? Someone shout, I am blessed. Uh, if you are in the light, you're not in the darkness. So these two forces are, are mutually exclusive. Similarly, in your mind, in dealing with the battle of the mind, of ignorance and victory are mutually exclusive. People are destroyed every single day for a lack of knowledge. They get defeated in areas of their lives because they just don't know how things work. You're going to have to get yourself some knowledge. Someone say knowledge. Knowledge. You can actually find someone with this name if you look hard enough. You got to get some knowledge. Amen? I said amen. You know, in the area of marriage relationships, in this church we have what we call the uh, pre-marital class that uh, uh, Brother Tinashe, Sister Maria, and all the, their team uh, uh, do uh, periodic, uh, period, yeah, yeah, forget that, forget that, regularly, amen, every now and then, all right, let's leave that alone. Periodically, I can say. Okay, so they do it periodically. Uh, 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 and Pastor, uh, Pastor Henry and Sister Beth are doing it right now. And here's the problem that I usually face with some of my close friends. I'm talking about my inner circle. So some of my real close friends, uh, they want me to officiate their wedding. So they will, the conversation usually goes something like this. Hey, Tafara, what's going on, bro? Hey, you know my girlfriend, such and such? We're getting ready to marry. And since you are a pastor and I'm your friend, would like for you to come and marry us. And then I usually say, unfortunately, we have a system in the church that says I'm not allowed, I'm not at liberty to marry anyone who hasn't acquired knowledge through the premarital class so that they can function in victory in their marriage. And they say to me, ah, but you're my friend. And then I say, you know what, my hands are tied because this is something that we came up with because we just don't want you to have a successful wedding. We want you to also have a successful marriage. And so you're going to have to go through these eight weeks. If you can't invest eight weeks, how long is the class? Six weeks. How long is is the class? One hour a day. One hour a week. Oh, man, I thought it was per day. One hour per week. For six weeks. If you can't invest that, man, I can't help you. And they usually say, ah, you know what, forget it. We're going to go the ignorance route. We'll wing it. And then they usually go ahead and get married. And then they find out once they get married that there's a thing called communication. (laughs) 
which is the lifeblood of a marriage relationship. Then they find out, one of the chapters in that book is, there's a thing called in-laws and outlaws. And then they come back to us and they say, now let's do counseling. No, we could have fixed that if we had gotten you some knowledge. You would have walked right into uh, being a roommate with victory and not ignorance. Amen? Because these two guys are mutually exclusive. The third one I want to reiterate is knowledge. Someone say knowledge. knowledge. And its proper application wins battles. Notice I said, knowledge and its proper application or knowledge and its proper use wins battle. Just knowing it or having a head knowledge is not going to win you the battles of life. You're going to have to apply it. Anybody can quote Luke 6:38. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, praise down, shaken together and running over. Shall men give unto your bosom. Anybody can quote that and we can give him a brownie for being able to quote that. But that's not going to win the battle of life. What wins the battle of life is when you take that information and you begin to apply it. It's only then you'll realize whether what we're talking about works or don't work. Amen? You're already doing it with everybody else. You're already doing it with the, with the pharmacist. Most of you go to the pharmacist with a slip written by a doctor's handwriting. You can't even read it. And you hand it to the pharmacist, you never met them in your life, and they go to the back, they bring out uh, some pills, and they say, take this in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening. And none of you ever say, you know what, since I got the prescription, since I got the pills, now I'm going to be well. You actually put it to use, you apply it, and then you expect some results. Similarly, God's word has to be applied if you're going to get some results. It's not enough just to regurgitate it at Bible studies. Amen? There's a better way to live when you start applying it in your life and you start expecting some fruit. Anybody can quote a verse about forgiveness until someone wrongs you. And you have a great temptation to become bitter. And bitterness feels good because you feel like you were wronged after all. Yeah, I'm going to hold this grudge. I'm going to walk up to them in the morning. When I bump into them in the morning, I'm going to show it to them that I'm not talking to them. And then we come over here and we say, what does the verse say? Oh, yeah, the verse says if they slap you on the other side of the cheek and then we give you 10 out of 10. You know the verse, but you're not living it. And you're going to be defeated. Can I get an amen? So God wants you to live a life of victory. And if you're going to live a life of victory, you need to remember these three things. A diligence to maintain your thought life will determine the quality of life you live. Number two, ignorance and victory are impossible roommates, mutually exclusive. Knowledge and its proper application wins battles. One of our other scriptures was Romans chapter number 12, verse 2. And it says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove or manifest that which is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants you to manifest his will in your life. He wants you to taste and see that he is good. Amen. I said, amen. God wants you to experience his goodness. He is good. He doesn't change that. But he also wants you to experience that goodness and walk uh, uh, in it. Can I get an amen? And so, the, one of the other ultimate reasons, actually, God wants you to uh, uh, experience his goodness. It is so that you can be a witness. You can be an influence uh, to the city and to the nation. Amen? 
the only way you're going to be an influence to the city and to the nation is, by, is not by how many verses you know. You know why? Because the unbelievers can't discern the power in a verse. But they can see a godly, good uh, marriage. They can see that something is going on over there. Amen? They can't discern the power in the Holy Ghost and praying in tongues. Hallelujah. But they can tell when kids are raised in the love and the admonition of the Lord. Amen? I said amen. amen. They can't discern uh, uh, the power in, in praying all night. But they can sure tell when you drive a nice car. Or when you re- run a successful company. Amen? And so, once you start rising uh, on that mountain in influence, God begins to use you to speak to the nations. Your opinion carries different weight at different levels of life. Amen? Amen? This is why Jesus said, you know, you must do good works so that man may see your good works. Not God. God does not uh, judge you according to your works, but man judge you according to your works. And so you need to live a life of fruit if you're going to have influence uh, over other people. And so the ultimate goal of manifesting the good and acceptable and perfect will of God over your life, it is so that you can have influence and start preaching the gospel. He told us in Deuteronomy 8.18, I've given you the power to to create wealth and he told us the reason so that I may establish my covenant and the covenant that we have uh, in our generation is the gospel so God wants to establish the gospel and the way he establishes that gospel is he has given us uh, levels of influence amen and so there's something that Bill Bright there's a gentleman called Bill Bright uh, in 1975 he came up with a concept that he calls uh, the seven mountains of influence If you're trying to locate uh, where God has called you, let me tell you, he has called you to one of these seven. So let's let's do it like this. Let's put uh, the other one uh, uh, overarching all the other ones, and then let's put one, two, three, four, five, six. So uh, this is another way of illustrating what I'm talking about with the church mountain Uh, above every other mountain. Ultimately, what I mean by this is the church is the one that should be influencing all the other mountains. Amen? This is why when there is a problem in the nation, God does not go to the politicians. He goes to the church. Amen? Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. You know, when there are corrupt leaders in your nation, you know what the problem is? The problem is over here, the church, we're not doing what we're supposed to do. We're not raising leaders to go out into all these other different uh, mountains so that they can influence the nation to go in the right direction. Amen? God hasn't called us to just be a nice uh, society that meets uh, regularly on a Sunday morning. God wants us to have influence. And bring city and nation transformation. Amen. So God has called all of you. Have called to one or two of these mountains. Some of you God has called you uh, to the education mountain. Amen. In fact some of the greatest inventors. Go and study this. Some of the greatest inventors uh, 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 of the the last uh, century. uh, Discovered their uh, inventions in church. Amen. Amen. Who's that guy who discovered uh, the theory of uh, gravity first? He was in the church. 
And, and, and uh, Galileo was in, in church. Uh, all these guys discovered all these things in, in the church. Uh, all the top schools in the world, they call them uh, Ivy League colleges. Go and Google this. All of them started as discipleship centers to train pastors. Dartmouth, Yale, uh, Harvard. Go and look it up. All of them were started by the church. It was back then when the church used to collect an offering for real purpose. Not to buy another shiny suit. Amen? It was to change cities and nations. In fact, 90 to probably 85% of uh, our leaders back home all went to church schools. Saint something. It's got to be a saint something. All those schools were started by the church, which knew that we have to bring influence to the education uh, mountain. We have to bring influence to the media mountain. How many of you know that if, if church folk were reporting about coronavirus, we wouldn't have shut down the economy? Because people would have told us, yeah, there is a virus, but guess what? Isaiah 53 verse 5, by his stripes we are healed. Amen? So we need church folk in the, in the media so that we're not just peddling uh, fear. Arts and entertainment. Amen? Uh, this is another mountain, business. Some of you, God has called you uh, to the mountain uh, of business, family. And some of you, God has called you to the mountain of government. How many of you know that we need some Holy Ghost-filled people spending our tax money? Come on, I can get an amen. Amen? We need some Holy Ghost-filled people who know that leadership is about serving. And how do we get to this? We get to this by renewing our minds. The traditional way of doing church, has, we have to forget that. Just forget that and realize that church actually begins when we say bye-bye. When you go into the world. Because the church is not the building. The church is the people that are empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit and God's anointing to go into the marketplace, rise to the top of the mountain that God has called them to. And all of a sudden you realize this, that once you're at the top of your mountain, your opinion matters. And now you can point them to the kingdom of God. See, when you're over here at the bottom of the mountain, your opinion is irrelevant. You can know a lot of things, but it'll be like, ah, I don't know, Shamar. No. <laughs> but when you rise to the top of the business mountain, all of a sudden, everybody wants to hear from you. Amen? And so God has empowered all of us to be able to rise to the top of these mountains uh, through creativity. God Ah, he has creativity for his children. Man, I wish I could talk to you about innovation. Go and check out Grace in the Marketplace, and you'll be able to see some of these teachings. God has innovation for his kids. You know, when Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit will show us things to come, he's not just talking about things to come with regards to eschatology. You know, the study of the end times. He's talking about, he'll show you things to come uh, with regards to your assignment. What God has called you to do, you'll be a leader and not a follower. God hasn't called any of his children to live a life of copy and paste. He wants you to cut a new path. 
And how do you get to do that? You start renewing your mind. You start tapping into the things that we were talking about in this series. Meditation. Uh, seeing into the unseen realm. You start uh, 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 engaging God in that regard. And when you do, it's amazing the things that God will literally just release in your spirit. The book I was talking about, Grace in the Marketplace, God literally dropped that concept in my heart, in my spirit, and told me to follow write this book. This is the book that's going to change uh, the nations. And not only will it change the nations... It will also change and empower and equip and prosper your life personally. And at the time, I had written four other books. And I was saying, Lord, use those ones. And God said, no, there's nothing in them. Write this one. And then I wrote that one. And guess what? It's the book that everyone likes. It's not even my favorite out of all the books that I wrote. It was the least effort I put. You know why? Because it was God effort. That's literally downloading from the spiritual realm. And when you do that, God has so many creative ideas, innovations that he has given to his children that will literally move us from the bottom of the mountain all the way to the top of the mountain. And once we get here, we are able to now speak Jesus from a position of influence. Do you know how many people tune in when the president is speaking? Now, how awesome would that be if he ended with Jesus is Lord in an outer call? Ooh, that's awesome. Amen. How awesome would it be if our, some of our government minister, let's say the government of culture or whatever, is a believer and he ends with, you know what, we're going to use all the budget money for this year to print and send Bibles to school and revive scripture union. We're bringing back Jesus into the schools. That would be awesome. That's real influence. But it's not going to happen while we're hiding. You see what I'm saying? It's going to happen when we start tapping into this. And we start realizing and renewing our minds. We had a businessman visit us uh, on Friday at our church office. Uh, he was coming to record a, a video with Pastor Henry and he came out. Uh, uh, and, you know, we started talking about grace in the marketplace and so on and so forth because he was saying it's one of the best books that he has ever read. In fact, after we finished a free course that we did during lockdown, he ended up buying uh, 40 of the books. And, uh, you know, he asked us, he said, how much is a grace in the marketplace copy? We told him it's about 150 rand. He said, well, I want 40 uh, for a discounted fee of 250 rand. So he said, I'm going to pay double and I'm going to get 40 books. And he gave them to his staff and he came and we started talking about these things. And he said, you know, one of the challenges I face in my business, in the business mountain, is that I employ, I employ people who don't understand uh, that it's, 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 it's not just about employing Christians. It's about uh, uh, using all our given, God-given ability to steer this business all the way to the top of the mountain so that we can have influence. Amen? He said he employed some Christians, and those Christians uh, would come and they would do counseling sessions on company time, on the phone, and airtime. They're using company phone, company airtime to do counseling sessions. They're not being productive. And he said, you know, pastor, I had to get rid of them because they didn't understand uh, uh, what we are trying to accomplish. So in your quest... To go all the way to the top of the mountain and use your God-given influence to change the nations for the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing in all these different areas, whether you participate or not. 
But if you choose to participate, things get better for you. Now, uh, uh, for you in your quest to get to the top of this mountain so that you can influence people's lives uh, for the kingdom of God, you're going to have to realize uh, uh, two things. That number one, you can't go alone. You're going to need some people. Amen? And God is going to use relationships to get you to go up to the top of the mountain. And relationships, uh, there's a gentleman who put it like this. He said uh, life relationships are like an aeroplane going somewhere. There are some people in your life, in the relationships that you have in your life, that belong to the economy section of the plane of your life. And there are some people that belong to the uh, 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 first class. And I'm not saying being, be mean to people because they are in the economy. Still feed them. Hallelujah. But they must stay in economy. And then there are chosen few that belong in the cockpit. Now the problem is we mix this up. We take someone who's been counseling people. They don't understand the reason and the existence of a business enterprise. They have been counseling people on company time. And we promote them into the cockpit. And we wonder why the plane is now going. It's doing cartwheels in the air. <laughs> this baby ain't going nowhere. Because... We're missing uh, uh, placement in, with regards to uh, relationships. Amen? And the second thing you're going to realize is that there's got to be some intensity for you to get to the top of the mountain. You've got to be obsessed with your purpose and with the gifts that God has put uh, on your life. It has to become your number one priority. The, re the reason why I'm not clowning around. You know, I meet pastors who are clowning around. Pastor, oh, that pastor was sleeping with that other girl and that pastor got this one. Clowning around. The reason is because they lack intensity to go to the top of the mountain. They don't understand the dynamics of influence. Oh, pastor was involved in gossip and he was involved in strife with that one. You lack, you lack the vision of where we're trying to get to. See, in, in, in intensity, you're going to have to get rid of all pettiness. See, part of being great is, the, is, 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 is being relentless about uh, not being involved with anything that's petty. Part of 90% of what I do is to just reject pettiness. When you wake up in the morning, 8 to 5, part, part of the real work you're going to be doing is just reject pettiness. I'm not going to participate. You see these guys that are occupying some of the top mountains? We can look at Donald Trump. He's an exceptional case. You know why? Because he occupies uh, two of, of, of very complex mountains. He occupies the government mountains at the top and the, the arts and entertainment at the top. When he did his apprentice thing, I mean, he went all the way to... And business. Where's business? Over here. I mean, he went to the top on three different mountains, which are complex, by the way. So when you're on Twitter saying, you know, he ain't nobody, man, you don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? I mean, I see people tweet. I mean, it's easy to tweet. Just, man, you, who are you talking to? I mean, the brother is a genius. Amen? I said amen. None of you vote, so this is not in any way a campaign session. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay, so how do you manifest uh, peace? Quickly, eight minutes. Okay, let's do this real quick. Isaiah 26 verse 3. Isaiah 26 verse 3. It says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in uh, thee. 
Did you read that? He says, God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. So peace is a byproduct of your thinking. You know, we can't lay hands on you to give you peace. Peace is a byproduct of what you focus your mind on. Amen? If you focus your mind on the corona statistics, you are in no way going to produce peace. But when you focus your mind on Jesus, the byproduct of that is peace. Amen? And that Greek word, peace, uh, is shalom. And it, 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 the concept of peace uh, is rooted in the word shalom, uh, which means wholeness, completeness, soundness, health, safety, prosperity, carrying with it the implication of permanence. And permanence there means the state or quality of a lasting or remaining unchanged indefinitely. In other words, you can be healthy indefinitely. You can be prosperous indefinitely. Amen? You can have peace indefinitely. Someone say, Pastor T, when are you planning to be anxious and to be worried about life? I'm not... Listen, I have peace indefinitely. I've signed up for shalom. It says it carries with it a state of permanence. It's not just a weekend thing. It's a lifestyle. Amen? I said amen. Amen. So our emotions follow our thoughts. Not the other way around. You know, modern psychology misses this point. They say emotions are a result of circumstances. That's what they say. They say, oh, it's just your parents. Oh, it's just where you grew up. Oh, it's just somebody. Man, at some point when you receive Jesus the Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to realize, you know what? Emotions are not as a result of my circumstances. Emotions are a result of what I focus on. Amen? And when you do, you will get over those things very fast. I'm not denying that you grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. You know, the railway line in the city. And then you were on the wrong side. Where all the pollution from the mine went to. I'm talking about me. We don't deny that fact. That you grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. But guess what? When you got Jesus, you should get over that real quickly and start focusing on him and it will change your emotions. Amen? It will change your emotions. So what we should do is to seek to elevate our lives to what the word of God says. This is your current reality. You must take your current reality and elevate it to what the word of God says, to the word reality. Amen? This is where you should function. But you know what pastors do? Is that sometimes in in a quest to sympathize with people, and sympathy is terrible. We should always empathize, but not sympathize. And uh, in a a quest to sympathize with people, they always say, you know what, actually the word uh, didn't really mean prosperity, like prosperity. Actually, it just means prosperity in the spirit. So, yeah, just stay in your state. And they take the word and devalue it to uh, match people's realities so that they can keep people feeling good about themselves. We should always take people from where they are and show them what they could become. And this is why when, I, when we train our pastors at Faith Hill Church to preach, we never tell them to preach to the bottom of the barrel. Amen? We always pre- tell them to preach to the top of the class. 
Because people will either rise up or fall down to the level of what you're teaching. So if you preach to the complainers, the murmurers, uh, the gossipers, If there was someone up here operating up here and your sermon is down here, they have to fall and join the level of your sermon. Hallelujah. But when you preach to the more than conquerors, the complainers, the murmurers, and the gossipers have to elevate and become a more than conqueror. Because people either rise or fall to the level of your teaching. This is why in this church, we tell you who you are in Christ. Not who you are in Soweto. Amen? Amen? Not who you are in your clan. Not who you are in your surname. We tell you who you are in Christ. And as you start to realize who you are in Christ. Hey, I'm more than a conqueror. In Christ, I have victory. You start to realize, hey, listen, this is where I ought to be. You start to move from your current reality to your word reality. Because your word reality is who you really are. It is who Jesus made you to be. You may be going through something right now, but I'm telling you, you are the prospered of God. And you need to start seeing it. I'm telling you, you are an influential individual with a purpose on their lives. God has never created anyone to be less than average or just to be average. Breathe in oxygen and breathe out carbon dioxide and just make it all the way from the cradle to the grave. No, God created you for influence. God created you with a purpose so you can change people's lives. And that's who you are. And if that makes you uncomfortable, man, let me just forewarn you. That's what we're going to be doing for the next 100 years as long as we are here. We're going to be showing you who you can be and who Jesus has already made you to be. Amen? And so uh, 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 emotions are a result of our thought and what we focus on. Let's go to Philippians chapter number 4. Ooh, man, time is going fast. Philippians chapter number 4, verse 6. Watch what it says. We're talking about manifesting the peace of God, the shalom of God. Amen? Manifesting the prosperity of God, the safety of God, the health uh, of God. Amen? I said amen. Listen to what it says. He says, uh, let's read it in the New King James, if you will. Uh, it says, fret not over there, but you know, I doubt any of us use that word in our day to day. You know, fret. Do not fret. No, this is a a little bit closer. Uh, in fact, let's read it in the NIV. We may find a, a better word that we use in our day-to-day uh, living. NIV, if you will. Uh, Philippians 4.6 in the NIV, if you will. You got it? New International Version. NIV. <laughs> See, there, I told you. Watch what he says. He says, do not be anxious unless the coronavirus statistics are climbing very fast. He didn't say that. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Did you see that? He says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, the reason he could say that to you is because you have the ability to not be anxious. Otherwise, it would be unkind for God to ask you to do something that you can't do. It would be unkind for God to come to me and say, be female. You get it? We'll be like, no, that's impossible. That's not going to happen. The reason why God says, do not be anxious about anything is because he has already put the ability in you to not be anxious about anything. Yeah. 
Man, you can live a life to where you won't remember the last time you were anxious. Because it's already on the inside of you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Next verse. And the what? I didn't hear that. The what? Remember, we're talking about peace. And the peace of God, which transcend all understanding. It's interesting that he said the peace of God. He didn't say just the peace. Because there is a difference between the peace of God and just peace. Peace is dependent on circumstances to line up. The peace of God is dependent on who God is. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means that state of peace can also be stable. Amen? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Man, that's good. I'm going to have to say something about that. There is a peace of God that goes beyond what you can figure out. It says it transcends all understanding. It goes beyond what you can figure out. Have you tried to figure out something in your bank account? And then you do this. Three plus one equals what? What's the answer? Okay. And then you're like, okay, okay, you know what? Let me, let, me, let, me, let me switch it up. Let me switch it up. Let me switch it up. You're looking at your bank account. And then you do this. Two plus two, what's the answer? And you're like, you know what? It's not adding up. And then you say, you know what? I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to do uh, one plus one. This must give me a different answer. And then you still land it. In other words, it's only four rand in your account. It doesn't matter how you look at it. You're like, you look at the ATM, you change position. You're like, still four rand. Now, there's a piece of God. You see, when you have run out of figuring out, there's a piece of God that goes beyond what you can figure out. Because it is not based on circumstances. Amen? I said amen. amen. And this peace which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Next verse. Now this is good. Finally. Now he's showing you how this peace uh, comes. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatsoever things is true, whatsoever things is noble, whatsoever things is right, whatsoever, uh, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatsoever is admirable, if Anything is excellent or praiseworthy. Let's read those last four words together. Think about those things. Let's read it one more time. Think about such things. These are the things that you should think about. In other words, when a thought comes to you, it must go through this process. Is it true? And what's true? What's true is what God says. Amen? If it doesn't line up with God's word, then that thought is not true. I remember when I graduated uh, university, uh, I would sit around and all kinds of thoughts would bombard me because at the time I, I had been applying for a job. I think I had been uh, waiting to get a single call to an interview three months. And I'm just sitting, man, and all kinds of thoughts would come to me. And some of the thoughts would be like, man, you ain't going to get a job. You, you're not going to get it. Who would hire you? It's a thought. I'm thinking, I'm quiet, but it's a thought. Now, question. Is that thought noble? Is it true? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? So I shouldn't have been thinking about it. But because I entertained it, remember we said uh, uh, attention is the, is the fuel for your thoughts. Remember? 
The lifespan of a thought is determined by the attention you give it. And I'd stay on that mountain. You know what? And then that mountain would go to, to the next level. The thought would go to the next level. Actually, no one will hire you. Actually, you are a loser. You know, it's a thought. It's in my head. It's happening. The enemy is dropping T-saw, thoughts, ideas, suggestions, and opinions. Actually, you are a loser. Here's what's going to happen to you. You ain't going to get married. You won't be able to have children. Even if you do, you won't be able to provide for them. Do you know how much DSTV costs? <laughs> Especially you, with the kind of wife that you want to marry. They're going to want a full bouquet. Man, I'm just, I haven't gone anywhere. I'm sitting, or I'm just sitting and thinking. And I'm in all kinds of thoughts. What should I have done with those thoughts? Cast them down. That's what scripture tells us. It says if a thought doesn't fit this criteria, punch it in the face. Knock its front teeth out. Amen. Man, every thought, you're going to have to start thinking about what you're thinking. If you're going to enjoy this kind of peace. Every thought must go through this process. And when it's found fit and worthy, then you can start thinking about it. He says, think about such things. Quickly, as we close, 1 Peter chapter number 5, uh, from verse 6 to 8. Can I preach for five more minutes? Just five more minutes? 1 Peter chapter number 5, from verse 6 to 8. It says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares. How many? All of your cares, all of your worries, you can literally cast them uh, onto the Lord. Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Amen? All your cares. Cares around your health, God cares for you. Cares around your finances, God cares for you. Amen? We say your goodness keeps running after me. I was sharing a testimony in the first service, and let me share it with you as well. On Thursday, I called engineer Chris, and I said, you know, Ah, man, we've had another load-shedding moment. And, uh, man, you know what? I need you to help me. He's the engineer, you know, in the church. I said, engineer, I need you to help me figure out a solution, you know, to have a generator or inverter at at the house and how much it's going to cost. And so he was going to go ahead and do the math and so on and so forth. And while he's doing the math, on Friday, I come into the office. We ended up uh, visiting that business person I told you. And it turned out he does generators. And he wanted to bless the church with the generator. And uh, while we're sitting in his boardroom, uh, I saw the invoice came. And it says, you know, uh, generators. And the price was uh, rand 0,00000. Better known as free. Amen? How many of you know that? How many of you believe God knows what you need before you even need it? And how many of you know that God will provide for you? Amen? This is why in this church, man, we don't take 10 offerings. You know why? We know that the offering is an opportunity for the people who are giving. It's not to sustain the church. The church is sustained by God. I mean, we've had some random people call us to say, I want to give you some money. Just last week, you know, we had an email from Hollywood, Los Angeles, California. Someone sent an email and said, hey, I bumped into your teachings at a prayer group out here in California, and I'm sending you this email to find out how I can give to you. Just seven days ago. And the reason why I don't go all the way back to three or four years ago is I want to show you these things are still working. They are as fresh. These testimonies are as fresh as seven days ago. Amen. And this guy wound up being a, a partner of Grace in the Marketplace and so on and so forth. And uh, uh, so I saw, you know, t- zero, triple zero. And then on the quantity, it says two. 
And then I found out, you know, he had given us two because he wanted to give one to the church. And here's, the, here's what's going to blow your mind. Uh, when he asked us if we needed a generator at the church, I told him, no, we don't need it because the place we are having church at the moment already has a generator. And he says, I'm still going to give it to you anyway. And he says, oh, the second one is for you to have uh, at your house. So I'm just trying to tell you that God provides. Amen? But here's what we need to do. We need to change our thinking. We need to move from a scarcity mindset and move over here and start operating at an abundance mindset knowing that, watch this, there is enough for everybody. It doesn't matter how much oxygen you breathe. It doesn't matter how fast you breathe. I'm still going to get mine. Amen? Someone shout, there is enough for everybody. Man, that will set you free. If you're watching, comment. There's enough for everybody. Hallelujah. So watch what he says in verse 8. Now, this is good. This is going to blow your mind. This is what the apostle Peter says in verse 8. He says, be sober. Did you read that? He said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. So he uses that word, uh, sober, and he's not talking about drinking beer either. The word sober, if you look it up in the American Heritage Dictionary, it means to be void of speculative imaginations. You see, what's killing you is not the real thing. It's just your imagination. Man, there are some people who can literally come up with a scenario in their head. That hasn't happened. And then stop eating from that scenario and develop ulcers. I'm telling you real stories. There are some people who can literally come up with the situation. It hasn't happened. And they won't be able to sleep for days. Listen, this thing hasn't even happened. And they say 99% of the things people worry about is just speculation. And it never happens. And so we have a story in the Old Testament a gentleman called Joseph, he has a dream, and God showed him that he was going to be a, na- a king in a nation, and people were going to bow down to him. And he goes and he shares this story with his brothers. Uh, his dad had given him a coat of many colors, you remember the story? And his brothers were jealous of him, so they decided they were going to kill him. And so they took him away, and while they were about to kill him, they said, you know what, actually, let's not kill him, let's throw him in a pit. So they threw him in a pit, and then they said, you know what, we're not even going to get anything out of it if we throw him in a pit and he starves and dies. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring him out, and we're going to sell him to the Midianites. And they sold him to the Midianites, and we know the story. Joseph went to Egypt, and he started working for Potiphar. And he was working in Potiphar's house, and while he was working in Potiphar's house, he was framed by Potiphar's wife. Remember the story? And, and, and yeah, this one is for brothers. Whenever you're confronted with a, a sexual sin situation, be like Joseph. Run. I thought I was going to get an amen from the man. Like a strong amen. Amen, Baba. Amen, Pastor. Amen. I remember preaching that at a youth camp. I said, man, when you're confronted with a sexual sin, run. And one of the boys sitting right at the back said, Pastor, in which direction? I said, away. <laughs> And so, uh, Joseph is, is framed, and he wound up in prison. You remember the story? I mean, Joseph is in prison, and while he's in prison, God gave him insight, creativity, and innovation. He was the only one who was able to interpret a dream. 
Your only key to promotion is not existence. You can't just say, okay, because I want promotion because I had a dream. No, that's not how it works. God is going to give you a, a key that will literally take you from the prison to the palace. And that key for Joseph was to interpret that dream. He was the only one who could interpret that dream. There's a problem that's tailor-made for you. Nobody else in the world can solve it except you. And when you show up and solve it the way you can solve it, there's going to be a promotion from the prison to the palace. And that's what happened to Joseph. So Joseph is chilling now in the palace. He's the prime minister of the land. And this is what his brothers do. His brothers go and they dip his coat into goat's blood. And then they take his coat to his father, Jacob, and they presented it uh, to Jacob. And they said, ah, we don't know whose coat this is. It might be, it might be your son's coat. And this is what we're going to read. Genesis 37 uh, from verse, uh, let's read from verse 32. And they sent uh, the coat of many colors. They brought it to their father and said, this we have found. We don't know whether it's your son's coat or not. See, that's what the enemy does. He just kind of throws a thought, idea, suggestion, opinion, and kind of leaves it hanging. And then you do the rest. Over to you, sir. And watch what Jacob said. And he knew it and said, it is my son's coat. An evil beast has devoured him. A lion came and ate him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. Question, was Joseph dead? Was he rent in pieces? Is this Joseph's coat though? Does it have blood on it? But it is it Joseph's blood. So all he presented was This is what he presented. False evidence appearing real. Amen? That's all he presented. It was false evidence, but it appeared real to Jacob. And Jacob said, I know exactly what happened. My son was devoured by a beast. And here's what messes me up. This is what's awesome. Verse 35. Verse 34. And Jacob rent his clothes and put a sackcloth upon his loins and mourned his son for how long? For many days. So Jacob was stressed out for many days on false evidence appearing real. Meanwhile, Joseph back at the ranch is at the palace having a party. Hey, oh, hey, oh. But false evidence appearing real is tormenting his father. Speculative imagination. He did the rest. Man, many a times we do the rest when it comes to just discouraging ourselves, killing our own dreams. The enemy gets blamed. 99% of the things you blame the enemy for, it's not even him. It's like, but God, I, you know, I'm not the one here. It's just themselves. Amen? Speculative imagination. And, verse 35, all his sons and his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. Man, we sent counselors. We taught the word. We sent them some teachings. Refused to listen to any of them. Why? I will go down into the grave 
unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him all the days of his life. So the man was planning to live a stressed out life all the days of his life because he saw some blood. It wasn't real blood. It was goat's blood. It wasn't a real human being's blood. It was a goat. And man, I'm telling you, some of the things that you think are real challenges for you, it's just false evidence appearing real. The thing that's really been limiting you is your speculative imagination. And people can come up with all kinds of permutations in the negative on their own. They say, this is how it's going to work. I'm going to get fired. When I get fired, then it's going to get, and I'm going to, and I'm going to, and it's going to be bad. And I'm going to do this, and man, it's going to be bad. And they're doing all of this in their own speculative, be sober, be void of speculative imagination. The only thing you should use your imagination for, we told you, is the word of God. Let the word of God be the one that paints on the canvas of your imagination. Did that bless you? Why don't you stand on your feet? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv today.